Crawford's just better now. That's all you can say. Run, Lindsey! Lindsey Scott! Lindsey Scott! Lindsey Scott! Welcome to the Blog the Dogs podcast. I'm Herschel Gurley here as always with my co-host, Boss Dog. Boss, bark it to people. Welcome back, everyone. Today we have another interview guest for y'all. Today we have former UGA Swiss Army Knife in the secondary, Aaron Davis. Yeah, Aaron was was awesome. Uh, if you follow Georgia football at all, you're, you're familiar with his story going from a walk-on to uh, having the most starts as a walk-on in the history of Georgia football. And after talking with him and hearing the full gamut of his story, uh, it, it does not surprise me at all. You just talk about having your your PhD in perseverance and persistence, boy. That that that's Aaron. So uh, we are so pumped for y'all to hear his story and and get some depth to to everything that that he went through and weathered to get where he was and to to shine in the red and black. And we're excited for y'all to hear. Here is our interview with former Georgia defensive back Aaron Davis. We are thrilled today to have Aaron Davis with us. Aaron was a defensive back with the University of Georgia from 2013 to 2017. He is a graduate of the Terry College of Business. After his playing career with the Dogs, he spent time in the NFL with the New York Giants and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he currently resides in Atlanta, Georgia, and works as a research analyst with CBRE. Aaron, we are jacked up to have you with us. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, man. I'm I'm glad you have me on. Yeah, so Aaron, the reason we asked you to come on is we just find that you have maybe one of the more compelling stories uh, of a dogs mm-hmm. player in the last couple of decades, just one that we absolutely love and really just want to be able to trumpet that story as much as possible, man. So let's start with kind of your upbringing. You know, you grew up in Georgia and my understanding is that you're kind of a football lifer. You've been playing football most of your life and your mama wasn't real happy about that when you first started. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. I was born and raised in Georgia. My first sport I ever played was baseball. That was the first one I ever tried out. Mini, mini t-ball player. Just fun, run around the bases, things like that. Basketball was next. I played that as well. And then a lot of my baseball teammates, they played football as well. And so I went to watch them play in a game. And like I was, I've always grown up watching football, but I never played it. And so I was, like 11 at the time, I believe. Uh, no, no, no. I had to be seven. Yeah, seven at the time. And I went and watched the plays. And I was like, Mom, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. And she was like, oh, no, no. You're going to get hurt. You, you shouldn't play. And so I was like, okay. So I didn't play. And then I went back and watched them the next year. And I was like, okay, this is it. I have to play. And so I was eight years old. That's when I first started playing football and it was phenomenal. It was by far the best experience I ever had. I absolutely loved it. Um, even though baseball was my first love and basketball was next, uh, football trumped all, uh, both of those two sports. So did I read right that your first game that you played, your mama was still nervous, but you had like a really good game. And then after that, she was all in. She's like, this is fantastic. Yeah, that is 100% true. My first game, I, I guess she was like, she was going to be nervous regardless. This is how my mom is. And I, I love her to death, but she is always worried. She's always nervous about me. And in the first game, I think I had like three touchdowns and like 200 something yards in the first half. And she's like, okay, okay. Uh, I can settle in a little bit. Uh, you know, <laughs> you didn't get hit that much and you scored a lot of touchdowns. This is fun. So 
she has thoroughly enjoyed it ever since. Now, you had a reputation at Georgia for being a very cerebral player, somebody who knew the ins and outs of the game. And my understanding is that that started out as a young age, that I read that your your dad used to tape all y'all's games, and then y'all would kind of go home and watch them together, which I love that because I, I played sports all growing up too, same thing, baseball, football, basketball. My dad did the same stuff. He'd tape and we'd go home, kind of break it down. Can you just talk a little bit about that and how special those memories are for you? Oh, that is that is absolutely wonderful. I mean, I guess I was ahead of the game when it comes to film study and film sessions, things like that. And I didn't even realize it. But so my dad, he used to record all of our games on his little JVC camera with the, and then he eventually got a tripod. And so he used to record my game and my brother's game. And as soon as we were done, I mean, the second we finished. I mean, our mom used to have to tell us to go, you know, wash up first. But the the first thing we wanted to do was go through and, and watch our games and see what happened. <clears throat> and I would watch my brother games and he would watch mine and vice versa. And it was just a great experience. Uh, I loved doing it. Um, and that carried over all the way up through my college career as well. So you, you end up going and playing high school ball with Luella High School, Luella Lions. Go Luella. Yeah. And so uh, from my reading and the things I've tried to consume on you, I understand you had a very tight relationship with your brother and he was a big influence on you, especially in high school. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Every time, every time anybody asks me asks about me and myself, the first person I mention is my brother just because he's like a year and a half, two years older than me. He's at that age where it's like he's not too far out. And so I think I can still take him, but he would always humble me. But we always competed in everything when it came to sports, grades, I mean, anything, you name it, video games. I mean, there are many, many, many nights of us, you know, just competing on with everything together. And so uh, he's been a huge influence for my life. Uh, I'm so thankful for him. Uh, he's killing it. He's like, I mean, growing up, you're always. I mean, they use the expression like this isn't rocket science, but come to find out now today, he actually is doing rocket science. So that just shows how great of a person he is. And, um, you know, he's always been super competitive at sports and he loves sports. And, you know, we talk with Tom. So uh, my my brother's everything. And, and, and even just having the chance to play with him in high school together was, was really special for us. And uh, we still have like pictures together from picture day. And of course, my mom goes crazy over those. So um, those are really special memories. And I'm I'm really glad for, you know, the brother that I had and everything he showed me. And just, just for the fact that like, because he wasn't too older than me, I used to hang out with him and all his friends. And that helped me out with my sports because I was playing with, in order for me to play, I had to be somewhat on on his level. And so uh, once I started getting around people of my age, it just gave me a little bit of advantage and I was able to be a little bit more mature than uh, some of my peers. So now talk to us about playing with him at Luella, because I understand you, you start as a freshman and you kind of really start to get, you know, acclimated and doing well and you get invited to a Nike camp and things start to take off during your sophomore year. And I think I read you had somewhere around 60 interest letters from around 60 D1 schools. Can you speak to kind of that first part of your high school career? Yeah, yeah. Very interesting enough. Coach Bergdorf, uh, shout out to Coach Bergdorf. He was the high school coach for Luella at the time. So I was one of three players who were uh, freshmen that got to play JV. 
So uh, that was a huge accomplishment for me. Um, and I did that, but I was kind of rotating with some of the older guys and coach Bergdorf, he pulled me in his office one day and was like, Hey, you know, I, as humbling as it will be, I think it'll be great if you went back down to ninth grade to get more reps. And so, um, I didn't take it as a slight at all. Uh, I trusted and believed in him and I did it. And I went down to ninth grade and, and just being the fact that I was already selected to, to be JV when I stepped back down to ninth grade, uh, it was once again kind of the element of going with the older kids back to people my age. And so I was able to dominate a little bit more on the ninth grade level. Um, but that really set me up to have a great sophomore year. And I, and I did that. And um, I used my sophomore year and I went to some camps. But the next thing you know, I just get all these letters that start piling in. I mean, every school, Georgia, Alabama. I mean, I remember when I first got my Alabama one, I was like, whoa, like, I think that was the first SEC letter I got. And so that was that was absolutely crazy. And so then I started thinking, like, you know, what school should I go to? What school should I go to? And things were really looking up for me. And I was super happy. I was killing it at all the camps I was going to. I went to the Nike Spark Camp. Um, I, I made the All Spark Team. I went to the Under Armour Camp. I made the All Under Armour Team list as well for for Atlanta. So there was some great times, and I, and I was out there with a bunch of really good athletes. I now remember seeing. Jalen Ramsey out there. He's in the NFL right now. Um, uh, so it was just fun times, and I was, I was really glad to be a part of it. So you're coming into your spring game uh, after your sophomore year, and you play DB and wide receiver when you were at Luella. You know, you're, you're in the spring game, and you feel something kind of twinge a little bit, doesn't feel right. Um, so you, you kind of sit out the rest of the game, and then you wake up the next day, and you have some swelling, and then you go to the doctor and find out that you've got the torn ACL. Can you kind of take us through what that news was like, and then kind of where your mindset was, and then how that set things up uh, moving forward? Well, that was a roller coaster because my sophomore year, I played strictly DB. I mean, that was my first time playing varsity. So um, I guess DB was all I could handle at the time. But then going into my junior year, I was ready to step up and do a little bit, little bit more for the team. So I was playing DB, wide receiver, and they even throw in a little uh, Wildcat quarterback package for me that I was thoroughly looking forward to for the, for, for the season. But during the game, during the spring game, I just kind of made a cut. And I kind of just fell. It's like, I know there are a lot of stories of people who say they're like, they hear like a loud pop or something like that. I, I didn't hear anything. I, I just kind of felt like a little twinge, like you said. And so, um, I went to the doctor and that was a roller coaster in itself. I went to the doctor. I sat in the waiting room for like three hours for them to tell me that, Oh, it's just a sprain. You'll be okay. And so I kind of waited it out. And then it's like, or maybe like a month later, I was like, ah, something still doesn't feel right. And so uh, I went back and saw an orthopedic. And that's when he was saying that, like, you know, we have to do an MRI to confirm, but we think you have a torn ACL. And so I'm like, I had no idea what that even means. So I'm like, okay, so, so what is a torn ACL? I think the first question I asked was, okay, how long will I be out? He told me six to 12 months. I said, six to 12 months? <laughs> no, we have to, we have to do something about this. And so, I went to get a second opinion. So I got an MRI and a second opinion. And from going through that whole fiasco, by the time I had my surgery, it was like two weeks before school was about to start back up. So this was like, you know, like July or or so um, that I actually got my surgery done. And so I missed my entire junior year. And I was really bummed out uh, about it just because I 
pick gained so much steam going to all these camps and having a great season. And I was really looking forward to getting out there on the field with, with all the guys again. And um, it was going to be a tremendous experience. And I, I, I fully believe, and I still talk to my teammates to this day, saying that, you know, if I was out there and all of us were together, we would have brought a state championship to Luella, at the very least, a, uh, a, a, a Georgia Dome appearance. So that's what we believe. And it was going to be a great experience. But, but once that happened to me, um, I guess I would say I was bummed out just because I wasn't able to play with my teammates. But going through the process, I, I was very hopeful and, and, and happy to get back because I think I, I got my surgery and all that stuff done through uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And they have some phenomenal, phenomenal facilities. Dr. Bush, he did my surgery. That was very interesting. And to this day, going through the rehab, oh, my gosh, bending my knee to 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 get the flexion back in my quad worst worst pain experience I've ever had in my life I'll tell you what when I was done having to do that every single day that was tremendous for me so I want to ask you about a particular recruiting story because when I read it it like made my heart hurt but I heard Mm -hmm. that a recruiter from the University of Florida came to visit you at Mm -hmm. Luella and was unaware of your knee injury or didn't know the extent of it and you come to meet with him and you're, you know, kind of coming in the room on your crutches. Can you kind of tell us what happened next? Yeah, I was actually off of crutches at the time, but it was like I had the, the huge like air cast on my leg. And so it's like you when you when you first get your surgery, they don't allow you to bend your knee for like maybe like two weeks or so. Uh, at least a week, uh, I know for sure. And it's like so I'm, I'm in this huge air cast. But it's like. This is when, you know, all the schools and stuff like that can, can come and talk to you. So um, I just remember every single day in class, as soon as I would hear like the, the I guess the alert or whatever go off, I would already get ready to get up because I had done it so many times. Like, hey, can we get Aaron to come to the front office? And so I would talk to so many different coaches. I mean, I saw, you know, every, I mean, Ivy League schools, Princeton, Harvard, I talked to Stanford, um, and in, in that particular case, uh, I came up and I will hobble up to the uh, to the front office, and I talked to I saw Florida, you know, I, I, I immediately recognized the Florida Gator shirt, and uh, Florida. I will say I'm born and raised Georgia. Georgia's always been my favorite team, but I did really like some of the players on Florida, and so that was like a a, a huge accomplishment for me, just for the fact that they asked about me. I think that was the first. SEC school to actually come and you know kind of pitch almost like an offer and so when I got there he was like wow like what happened now kind of told him like yeah you know I told my ACL but I'm rehabbing I'm getting back things back together and um he was just like you know wow we were really looking for a shutdown corner uh we thought that could be you he was saying that you know with with your situation uh we'll have to go back and reevaluate and so I kind of knew what that meant when he said that I was like no offer I know what that means and so um that really bummed me out because that would have been my first SEC offer I still had an offer from like wait for it and farming at the time but just getting that SEC offer I know how these things go like as soon as one big name school offers you next thing the rest just come flooding in just because um I don't know. That's that's just how it is. So uh, that I was almost a Florida Gator just because I had no idea where I was going to go with my situation. So I was like, 
I'm desperate. Florida Gators are, are, are not my school. UGA has always been my dream school, but I was like, to get to where I want to be, I'll commit on spot because <laughs> I don't know how this is going to go when it comes to my knees. So uh, I was that close and then uh, that kind of ended up drifting away. So you deal with the ACL and you're rehabbing that and you're trying to get back and get ready, which is a big enough crucible for any of us to get through. And then tell us what happens as you're leading into your, your senior year. Yeah. So I got back. Um, I was getting up, getting healthier every single day. I was training. I put up another, I was able to make it back in time in the spring for another good effort at the, uh, at another Nike Spark camp. Um, and so then I got invited into, uh, another camp. I can't remember what it was. And so I went there and I wasn't planning on doing any other like testing and stuff like that. But, um, I was there and, you know, I was doing one-on-ones and I was having a really good day. And on the last rep for me of that day, I kind of just, same thing. It was kind of like a twinge again. So I was like, oh, wow, like this, this, this is weird. But I thought that it didn't feel like the first time. So I was confident that it was maybe like a hyperextension or something like that. Um, but I went and visited back the same doctor, Dr. Bush, and it ended up being the same thing. And so I tore my ACL like seven and a half months later um, from, from when I first recovered from the ACL the first time. And so it was like, it was a huge bummer because I knew, I mean, that one happened in, I think like March, March of 2012. So right before, uh, my senior year going into my senior year. So I, I didn't even get to do spring practice or anything like that. And so it was like, dang, man, I just did all this fighting to get back for this to happen again. But I don't know. It was, I had a different mindset the second time. The second time I was like, okay, though this, this news is bad. Like I've been through this before and I know how to handle it. So I'm going to attack this even harder and it ended up paying off for me because uh, I got back quicker and faster. And I think because it was my second time, the Dr. Bush told me that my timetable would be between nine to 12 months. I'm sitting at six months in about a week. And it's like the season finale for high school. And like, uh, we weren't going to go to the playoffs. So this was going to be the last possible game. And so like, I went to the practice. I, I was going to the practices and stuff like that. And then I actually practiced, you know, I was very limited in practice, but I did it. And coaches were asking like, you know, how do you feel? Like, I was like, I mean, coach, I feel good. I feel fine. And so I went out there and played two and a half, three months early, not even learning my lesson because I, I, I just hurt myself in the same scenario seven, well, six, six and a half months ago. And here I am again, but I just, I couldn't allow my team to go out there and, and me not be able to play with them just one last time. And who knows, like, you know, how lucky or how fortunate I was, but it actually did work out to me because in that game, I set my school record for the most reception. I decided to play receiver that game just because, like, at receiver, I can kind of control my own movements. If I need to get down, I can get down. DB, it will be a lot more uh, reacting. But I set my school record for most receptions in a game, and I had a really good game. And I kind of used that as my fuel to say that, you know, hey, Georgia, you know, I used to be on your radar, not anymore, but I'm back healthy. And, you know, what, what do you think? And that kind of led me into to getting a preferred walk on at UGA. Yes, I've got a couple questions about this. First off, Aaron, you know, most kids 
presented with that situation, not just the first injury, but then the second one would sulk or feel sorry for themselves or why is this happening to me? And it seems from the things I've read is that you kind of did the opposite. You kind of said, well, look, I can't contribute physically, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to learn as much as I can about schemes and about coverages and about why we're doing these things. And to the point where the coaching staff was referring to you in their offices as Coach Aaron or Coach Davis. And um, can you kind of speak on how that mindset set you up as you moved into your college career? Yeah, I was hungry for knowledge. Um, I wanted to find a way to still help my team, even though that uh, I wasn't going to be able to play. So uh, I took on a role as, you know, understanding the game, getting closer with some of the coaches, uh, especially on the defensive side and learning more about football. And um, so during all the games, I would go up in the top booth with our defensive coordinator, Coach Sims, who he's now the, the, the head basketball coach for Morgan County. He's winning like the, the basketball championship like every single year. So shout out to Coach Sims. But he was up there calling the plays and I would write down every play and then write down, you know, how many distance, how much distance the offense gained, uh, how many yards they gained for that, for that down and then the down and distance, things like that. But I was learning more and more about the game and advancing my knowledge in, in, in that capacity to where I could understand what's going on. Like, you know, what the offense is likely to do on this down and distance, what defense is likely to do, you know, schemes, things like that. Um, and just compounded that on top of what I was already learning when I was kind of on my own watching film of some of my other favorite players, like, you know, Champ Bailey, uh, Deion Sanders, uh, people like that. Um, I was able to, you know, learn more and more about the game to where I could really understand it. And that really kind of helped me out, uh, as far as getting to college and preparing me when I got there. So you're an excellent student in high school. You have a GPA over 4.0. You are admitted to UGA academically, going there uh, with the Hope Scholarship in hand. And my understanding is that you're there on an academic visit with your dad, and you guys make a fortuitous stop at the Buttsmere Building. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we were on a, a academic visit type thing that they do for all the students that uh, enroll. I enrolled and I got in early, so I was fortunate enough to do that. And so I kind of had some free time. And, you know, my dad was like, hey, like, let's do it. Let's just go there. So I was like, I'm down. And so we just kind of went there, pulled up and was like, you know, who can we talk to? I feel so terrible because I don't remember his last name, but I know his first name was Daryl. And I can never I can't thank him enough because he actually took the time to sit down and talk to my dad and I, and we had a, a great conversation and I gave him like uh like a CD. And you know, it's funny because Blake Tibbs, who was at UGA, he was like, you know, stud receiver in high school. I know he probably has a few records. He went to MLK. Um, and, and so I had a really good game against Blake, which I used to joke to him about when I got to UGA. I had a really good game against him. And so I kind of put together like a film to say like, you know, this is, this is a guy that you guys just signed. I was able to play against him and have a good game. Like, you know, what do you think about this? And he kind of took that and, you know, reviewed that. And I guess it was probably his job for, I guess, recruiting, maybe like figuring out, you know, the walk-ons and things like that. And he gave me the opportunity. Um, and then we kept in the contact and that was, kind of my like like my point of contact to say that you know 
this thing is for real. Like, I made the decision that if a school like Florida wanted me and UGA is sitting here in my backyard and I can go to them, I don't want to sell myself short. I could have went to like a smaller school, kind of worked my way up, maybe transfer after the, sec- the, the first or second year uh, after I prove, prove myself. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make that leap right now just because I felt like if I'm going to have to pay for school because I, you know, kind of lost all of my offers, my full scholarship offers, you know, I might as well go to a school that I actually really, really want to be at. And so that was my, my thought process. And I was completely confident in myself and my abilities. So that's why I made that jump. I mean, you would think after all of that, that there'd be no other hurdles, but it seems like, you know, Aaron, you had gotten your PhD in persistence before you ever stepped foot on a college campus and you still kind of had to roll through it. My understanding is once you even got on campus and everything was squared away to try and start practicing with the team during summer and stuff, there was then some type of NCAA roadblock that kept you from starting immediately. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So like it was the first time that, UGA had preferred walk-ons who came in the summer and participated in the voluntary summer workouts. So there was a lot of like paperwork and things like that, that we had to fill out. It was just a very strange situation. So like I got there, I mean, if you think about it, you graduate, I graduated like May 20 something late. And then I only had like three or four days before I had to report to uh, UGA on June 1st. And so then I get there June 1st, kind of ready for for, for action. And then they tell me that, you know, we kind of got to put you on hold. We don't know what's going on with this yet, uh, but stay posted. So I'm thinking like, okay, I'll stay posted. Um, I'm going to stay ready. I was like, I'm going to work out. But I was telling myself that I'm going to work out, but I'm not going to work out too hard because I don't want to actually get to the workouts and then I'm super sore or, you know, something like that. And, and then, and then I not be able to perform there. And I really told myself a lot because that first day, those workouts kicked my ass. I mean, it was the most wild experience I ever had. And when, when I finished, I, I held myself together. I, I, I didn't do anything, but I hopped on the first bus back to my dorm and as soon as I got back to my dorm I hurled up everything that was in my stomach <laughs> I realized this was a wake-up call for me so from that day on I, I just continued to hit the road uh continue to, to, to go back and go even harder every single day and um yeah man that was a wake-up call but what what an experience that first day was for me so you get on campus, you're there from 2013 to 2017, you go through several transitions and you obviously have the story being the, a walk-on. With being a walk-on, you know, now with social media being what it is, you know, preferred walk-ons get tweets out and commitments and congratulations and stuff like that. What is it like as a walk-on in 2013? If you can tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, I love it. I see. I love seeing all the walk-ons. I mean, I watched the ESPN video where they showed like all the walk-ons who got scholarships. Um, and even seeing that they UGA, we do like graphics for like preferred walk-ons. And it's, it's really a thing to where like some guys really elect not to take scholarships other places to bet on themselves and take preferred walk-on opportunities at UGA. So that's absolutely amazing for how they're treated and how they have uh, right now. But 
back in 2013, that was not the case. We kind of just got slipped through the back door <laughs> and it was like, we'll throw you a jersey number. That I mean, that was how I got my jersey number. I didn't pick that. Uh, it was like, here, this is your jersey. You know, this is your locker. Um, I know I, I had to share lockers um, my, my first year. When I first got there as a preferred walk-on, they just told me, come to the bus mayor, uh, we have a team meeting. And so I didn't know like where to go, where not to go, like how to actually get in the bus mirror. And so I ended up walking through like the very back entrance where the where the players go. And my you had to use your fingerprint to get in, but they didn't make my fingerprint yet. And so I couldn't get in. And so it was like I didn't know what to do. And then I just turn around and it's like this mammoth of a human being behind me and it's Ray Drew. <laughs> and Ray Drew and so he 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 opened the door, he let me in and I think he cracked a couple of jokes on me. He was asking me like where I was from and stuff like that. So that was really fun. But yeah, they kinda just threw me my jersey and then like two years in, like after I started I, I became a starter, they asked me like a lot of my friends and family were asking me like, you know, are you gonna switch your number? I was like, you know what? I've already played a season with this. It's kind of stuck with me, so I'm gonna just ride with it. Uh, it was still a great time. Uh, I say the players, they don't look at you any different. So like the scholarship players versus walk on, you know, once you're on the team, you're on the team. Like everyone is together. But but as a walk on, in for myself, it's like it's just kind of trying to fit in, just because I guess the the guys who come in with the actual class, you know, they kind of have some kind of camaraderie because they you know, gone and do, done like events and things like that together. And, you know, they were a part of going to, you know, all these different things that they did as far as to help them prepare to get, get, get to uh, campus. So walk-ons, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like that for me. It was just by yourself until you actually got to know some people. But once you did, it was, like I said, it was, everyone was the same kind of player. Well, the story goes that you caught the eye of Coach Pruitt. Coach Pruitt doesn't really seem like the type of guy to really heap praise on anyone. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Coach Pruitt, what an interesting guy. I mean, his development throughout me first knowing him to to what he is now and being the head coach of Tennessee was awesome and amazing for him. I mean, he got there. He is everything is advertised. You know, he's a hard-nosed coach. But growing up in Georgia, I'm used to that. So, you know, I saw that on a daily that was nothing foreign, foreign to me. And I'll never forget looking up the first day of practice when we were in our meetings and seeing the depth chart for the corners. And there was like five names for the left corner, four names for the right corner. And I was the fifth name for the left corner. So that means I was nine out of nine on the depth chart. And once again, that was just motivation for me. And so I knew in order to get on the field, I have to know what to do out there. And that was the only way that I'll be able to play fast. And so I did that and I took the time to, you know, learn and study the playbook. And I was very fortunate that we had a coaching staff change because they had to get to know everyone equally. Everyone had to kind of switch gears to find out, you know, how do we actually run this new defense? And so that kind of put us all on a level playing field. And because, my past experience at Luella and, and being more cerebral there and understanding the game, I was able to pick up the, the playbook faster than really all the other guys. And I kind of use that to my advantage because, you know, this guy, he may be, you know, a little bit more talented than me or, you know, something like that. But if he doesn't know what he's doing, then 
you can't really, you know, help the team out as much as someone who know what their responsibility is and executing that and doing that to a high level. So I really use that. And uh, one of the days, I think somebody kind of got injured and they were like, we need a corner. And it's like, people were kind of looking around. I was like, I go out there. So I hopped out there and I made a couple plays and uh, he really appreciated that. Then they started you know, noticing me more. I know the, it was like split up into two fields to where it's like, it was like the ones and the threes and then the twos and the fours. And so uh, I was on the twos and the fourth field and I was getting noticed there. But then when someone went down on the ones and threes field, that's when I stepped up there and I was able to get noticed over there as well. So, you know, I kind of had film on both fields. And so, you know, I think that's where he started paying attention to me and he noticed me and I was kind of slowly, slowly climbing my way up the depth chart. So one day, you know, I looked in on the meeting and I was one on one of the sides. Damian Swan was one on the other side. Well, let's talk about your first game a little bit. I mean, it honestly couldn't have gone any better. Home against Clemson, night game, you know, between yeah. the hedges. Uh, just tell us your experience about that that first game. Man, uh, I had no idea what to expect. Georgia was like my favorite school growing up but I had never actually been to a game. So I only only saw these games every Saturday. I mean, I remember watching Nosha Marino jumping over people uh, during the games. And so that just looks so much fun. But I know my school and high school, like we were a big school, but we really weren't that good. So we didn't draw huge amounts of crowds and things like that. First game versus Clemson, primetime game. Uh, night game, everyone was going to be watching. This was like the, the second year in a row that we played Clemson. I mean, that game was absolutely phenomenal. Still to, to this day, my favorite game. There was so much that I didn't even know and didn't know how to expect and what to go about it. And, you know, you have anybody who plays sports on that kind of level, you have that like jitterness about you butterflies in your stomach before the game and I had that to the fullest degree and uh just stepping out there on that field and in Sanford Stadium for the first time was it's something I'll never forget even being out there and having to to perform under those that pressure it was crazy and I remember like maybe like the first or second play they throw like a quick hitch route to Mike Williams and like we sent like a corner on the blitz and so I was at safety, so I had to come down on him, and uh, I whipped. <laughs> I whipped, and he ran, like, 50 yards. And so I was like, I missed. I didn't really realize how good that was. But that, I mean, that was Mike Williams at the time. But I kind of made that up later on in the game when I was able to get an interception of my own. Let's talk about, like I said, you went through several coaching changes. Um, you went through the change in defensive coordinator from Grantham to Pruitt, and then you went through the big coaching change with everybody from head coach with Rick going to Smart. Can you talk about the, really just the change in the locker room and change in defensive coaching philosophies when the entire Rick regime went out to the Kirby regime? Yeah, so like I guess my first year, because I was spent, I spent almost all my time on the practice squad, I didn't really absorb the defensive game plan, defensive playbook, uh, like some of the other players did. It was kind of already told to me that like spring will be your opportunity to show what you know. So it's like I would kind of pay attention to the playbook here and there, but I spent so much of, of my time actually studying like the teams that we we're going against. I didn't really, you know, fully grasp the defensive playbook. So my real experience of 
actually understanding and getting to know the defense was when Coach Pruitt came in and he kind of had a different defensive philosophy than what Coach Grantham had. I, could, I know Coach Grantham is known for, you know, his crazy exotic blitzes and really, really using his DNs. And that's why they kind of love, you know, Leonard Floyd, Jordan Jenkins, people like that. But then Coach Pruitt, it was just a completely different system. Able to start on ground zero with that. Uh, but then when Coach Rick left, which was a complete shocker to, to me, I didn't, I didn't expect that to happen. And they brought in Coach Smart. He kind of had the same principles. I mean, they were Coach Pruitt and Coach Smart were both under that Nick Saban family tree. So they ran the same defense. So for me, the transition from from a defensive perspective was seamless. Like it, it was, the, it was the same playbook for me. Uh, I really didn't have anything new to, to, to learn. And I kind of almost mastered what I knew about the, the defensive playbook my, my first year. So going forward, it was really just a refresher for me. I always tell people that Coach Smart, Coach Rick, two phenomenal coaches, different perspectives, different philosophies to me. Coach Rick, he's like uh, he's like like the father Don figure. Like he just commands so much respect when he's in the room because you know he has so much experience and there's so much that he's actually accomplished at going from you know Florida State and uh, you know all the things that he did at Georgia. Like he just instantly when he like we would just do all this talking in, in our meeting rooms and like as soon as he walked in, it's like silence. Is because everyone has so much respect for him and um, the things that he did and how he contributed to UGA. And then Coach Smart, same thing. People still had tremendous respect for him. But, you know, he's more of the new age of what I've seen. It's like more of the coaches that are like young and fiery and things like that. So that's kind of the, the, the element that he brought. I love them equally. And I've had great memories with, with both of them. I mean, going to a national championship with Coach Smart and then Coach Rick giving me the ultimate compliment of my life when he, I call it like an interception in practice. It was like, boom, it was a nice catch. And I took it back for a touchdown and I kind of flipped the ball to the, to the manager and kind of went back and he was, he stopped me before I could go back. He was like, Davis. And I was like, yeah, what's up coach? He was like, you just caught an interception for a touchdown. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I did. And he was like, you need to celebrate more, man. I haven't seen anybody make a catch like that since Deion Sanders. And I was like, I, I, I tried not to express it out there, but I was like, Deion Sanders, like, Deion Sanders is my favorite player of all time. So anytime, like, I could get anywhere mentioning the same things as Deion Sanders is absolutely huge for me. And so that, that to this day, that is the, the most coveted favorite compliment that any coach has ever given me. That's awesome. Well, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your senior year. I mean, that was just a magical, magical season. So if you could just kind of take us back through your memories of the season, you know, through the Notre Dame game. I mean, really start with Appy State when Jacob goes down. I mean, a lot of dog fans are really kind of doom and gloom at that point. And then Jake comes in and then through Notre Dame and then the SEC run and then obviously the college football playoff against uh, Oklahoma and then the national championship game. Man, I mean, after the 2016 season, I wasn't sure whether I was going to just go ahead and make the leap to the NFL or just come back or come to UGA for my senior season. Because I was thinking, like, you know, I've already been here for four years. You know, how's the fifth year going to look? How's it going to work out? We didn't particularly have a good season in 2016. So I was like, you know, where's this going to go in 2017? But 
I decided to come back and that paid off dividends for me. That was the most fun season I ever had. And the first game, App State, Jacob Eason went out and what really was crazy was that I went out as well. Like I was battling like a uh, groin injury. And so I was trying to fight through it and play through it. And I played like the first series, but by like the second series, I was like, oh no, this isn't happening. So I wasn't even out, out there. And then once I saw Jacob go out too, I was like, you know, what's really happening? What's going to happen? But Jake was able to come in and step up. I will say the media was was super nervous and worried about us playing Notre Dame the next week. Uh, and I was kind of nervous with myself because I didn't know how I was going to, you know, feel as far as health-wise. But I actually went out there and had one of my best games. And the defense really had a, a, a really good game altogether because everyone was talking about, you know, how great Notre Dame was and the pedigree of the program and how we were going to be in awe of being in their stadium and their rushing attack and this and that. And it was just, we had complete confidence in ourselves, the abilities of what we could do. We went out there and we played an excellent game. I think that sparked us to, to have the confidence to say that, you know, we can compete with anybody. doesn't matter if we're the underdog, you know, favorite to win by 32, favorite to lose. It doesn't matter. We're going to go out there. We're going to compete. And that just took us, you know, out there on a roll. And that put us, we won, like, I don't even know how many games together until we played Auburn that night in their stadium. And they kind of gave it to us. I'll give it to them. Uh, they got one off of us, even though, like, I think that might have been, that might have been the only time I ever lost to Auburn uh, all my years there. Well, at least while I was on the field. They, they got us that week. But, you know, we kind of felt like, that wasn't really the best performance and we kind of shot ourselves in the foot and that if we actually play our game the way we're supposed to play that you know we can beat them and we saw that in the SEC championship when we really dominated them I think scored like 28-7 so they really didn't score and we kind of put up a really good performance defense definitely took that one personal because uh we went from giving up 40 something points that first game to seven point out in the next game so um, we kind of put that to rest. Great to get uh, one up on Auburn. Uh, always celebrating those, and that was the SEC championship, which was huge. You know that put us back in the in, in the playoff contention. Uh, kind of solidified us our spot uh, in the playoffs, and we kind of took that momentum and went up, went over to California to to, to play Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, so I, I want to talk to you a little bit about two specific games from that season and I'm a little biased because I was at both of them. South Bend from the fans perspective was just magical. I mean obviously the his- the history's all there and all those things and you just kind of feel like you're walking around with ghosts when you walk around the campus and the stadium in a good way. I remember walking in the stadium with my wife that night and just being overwhelmed with the amount of red that was in Notre Dame Stadium that night. When y'all came out for warm-ups and as the stands started to fill up were y'all because I, I would imagine going into that game you're getting prepared hey look we're going into historic Notre Dame Stadium be prepared to contend with noise and it's going to be a contentious uh field x y and z and then y'all get there and brother it's like athens north i mean so can, can you speak to what that was like running out there uh for that game in that environment yeah i mean we always say that our fans travel we're, we're so happy and proud that our fans travel they meet us no matter what the location is i mean you think about they played in hawaii and i think we yeah, a lot of fans we went out there that was when they played way back uh, then and 
just for the fact that, you know, we can go out there and still see a sea of red, no matter where we are, it really does mean a lot for us, especially when we're actually in the game and it kind of neutralizes uh, the other team's home, you know, home field advantage because, you know, normally when we're away games, like our, our opponent's crowd is like making it super tough for our offense. But, you know, if you have our crowd who's out there to, you know, kind of neutralize it, that really helps us out as a team. And that gets us going just to go out there and see all those fans hyped and cheering and bringing all the different traditions and things that we do at UGA to other teams' stadiums. It's like we're able to take over and then get a win on top of that. You know, that just adds fuel to the fire and it just makes it an even better experience for everybody. So I want to talk to you about the Rose Bowl. I mean, what a what a cool thing to be able to play in the granddaddy of them all with all that history and how magnificent that stadium is. And But can you tell us a little bit, just because it's not something fans really get to hear a lot, tell our listeners a little bit about what that week was like for y'all, um, you know, getting to, to do Disneyland and getting to do the eat, eat as much prime rib as you can at Lowry's, I think is what the restaurant is called, and, and just kind of take us through what the lead up to that week is like and your memories from that week. Yeah, so like when you go to bowl games, bowl games are a little bit different from regular season games or even, you know, championship, SEC championship games because you have like these events and all these stuff that they have planned for you. So we were out there in, in, in LA and so it's like there are so many distractions and things around you. Um, but there are also attractions and things that, you know, you can go out there and enjoy. And so, you know, we got the chance to go to Disneyland. I think there was like a power outage. So when we went, so. We didn't really get to go on a whole bunch of rides, but it was still good to go there. Uh, Lowry's, which is a tradition for the Rose Bowl for both teams to come in and eat uh, the prime rib there. So that was a really great experience. And something that I didn't even realize to now is like we went to the comedy store. And so uh, that's like a really big thing out there in L.A. And I, I had no idea, but we saw like all these famous comics and had a great time there um and so you have all these events sprinkled in here and there that you get to go to and experience just as part of your whole rose bowl experience so i really thoroughly enjoyed that um but at the same time we we do still have the mindset to say that you know though this is a bunch of fun and we do this and that uh this is still a business trip so we're 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 still trying to win a football game and that was kind of our mindset uh when we're out there so majestic day that day in Pasadena. I mean, the weather was beautiful. Again, tons, tons of red and black uh, in the stadium that night. And can you just tell me this? Because I would just tell you from a fan's perspective, I've said this many times, that game was over with. And I looked over at my brother and I said, dude, I, I need an IV. Like, I'm so exhausted after that game is over with. So I can only imagine, like, emotionally and physically how y'all felt. And then what's it like to have this just riveting, you know, awe-inspiring win like that historic win for the program and then you got to come back seven eight days and you got to play for the title what's what's the turnaround on that like and um you know mentally and physically yeah so i mean first and foremost that game the game was crazy i mean starting with the warm-ups where like defense we don't really go out there before the warm-ups but we know like the offense and quarterbacks are few out there throwing they're like oh you know baker mayfield's running through the receivers drills and this and that we're like what and so we go out there, we're like extra fired up, probably too fired up. I mean, I think in the beginning, we gave up so many points just because I think we were just, I don't know, we just weren't, I mean, maybe we we're just too hyped for the game and the atmosphere. And so we've made a lot of mistakes that we don't normally make, uh, similar to what happened to us versus Auburn. And, and But this game, we were able to pull it together, 
um, in the second half, really have a really uh, a much better performance. I'll say that game is really special for me because I went back and watched like the TV copy and I'm listening to it and I hear Kirk Herbstreit talk about, you know, how he talked to Coach uh, Tuck, Mel Tucker, and saying that he kind of asked him, you know, who did he think would be the MVP of the defense and of all the people with me being on the field with Roquan Smith, Davin Bellamy, Lorenzo Carter, DeAndre Baker, like Dominique Sand, like all these players, like he named me to be who he thought could be the MVP of the defense because, you know, he said I was an extension of him out there on the field. And so I really appreciate that. And on top of that, we won. I mean, I get to stack Baker Mayfield, which I have a picture of, like three people have uh, given me like the frame picture of the stack that I have of Baker Mayfield. Um, and and I, I, I say all the time that like really, I don't think you can see it on the TV copy, but I was on the sidelines. And when Sony broke free for that touchdown, if you maybe pause it like at three or four yards before he actually touched the goal line, the entire team was already on the field celebrating. Like it was, it was, I mean, we went bonkers on the sideline when, when, when he went to score that touchdown. I know people just throwing helmets, jumping up, hugging each other, like, everything under the sun um celebrating that game and that was just huge for the fact that especially on defense that we gave up that many points and then to turn around and and still be able to win that game uh that was huge that was that experience was something that i'll never forget that that yeah that that game is that game is definitely special one for me and then you know us being so hype and energetic and then realizing that wait a minute we have to go back and hop on a plane and go from California all the way back to back to Georgia. And it's like going there, we kind of gained three hours, I guess, because going west, but going back home, it's like you lose three hours. So it's like a trip that was really, you know, four hours, seven hours went by. And so it's like you're even limited in, in, in time. And so you have to get back there, get rested up and, and things like that so you can be prepared for, you know, whoever we were supposed to play next. So I have a personal short story I'll share with you, Aaron. So I went to the game. Obviously, it was awesome. You know, spent the whole day out there. There's a golf course right behind the stadium. And that's where we parked. We parked on the 18th fairway of the golf course. And then you kind of like walk in and, um, you know, obviously a jubilant day, special memory. My brother and I were there together. It was fantastic. I went straight to LAX after the game and took a red eye back to D.C., I get back to my house in Virginia, I don't know, maybe like 11 in the morning on January 2nd. And my wife's already at work and she's like, uh, hey, I need you, to, need you to give me a call. Okay, everything all right? She's like, yeah, yeah, I, I need to tell you something. I need to give you a call. So she calls me. She's like, well, I have some news for you. I, I didn't want to like tell you yesterday with everything going on. And I'm like, man, like, this, I hope it's in like something bad. Like, just, I just felt kind of ominous, you know? And uh we have, um, at the time, we had two older kids, boy and a girl, and she said, well, I just want to let you know I'm I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, man, it's so awesome. So, like, that, like, 36 hours is, like, very special to me just because, you know, you have this just really cool personal moment and day with the team that you love. And then to have that experience, my wife telling me that, man, you just talk about 36 hours of jubilance, brother. It was it was fantastic. So, well, so then, you know, you, you go through the season, playing the national championship game, obviously, such a tough end to that game, but 
regardless, and I'll always argue this, what, what a magical year, right? And what a magical year for it to be, for it to be your senior year. And then, you know, for a lot of the guys in the senior class, you included, there's another football step involved in that. Can you tell us about um, getting prepared for the draft process? And, you know, again, I, I, I want to go back to this because I think it's it's at the baseline of your story, Aaron. I think it's something to be admired and talked about. Your persistence and your positivity, when I don't think all people would respond this way, is something to be admired and, and that should be talked about. And, you know, you have a great year to the point where Coach Tucker's saying you're the MVP of the defense, and then you, you don't get an invite to the combine. What, what, what was that like? What was disappointment like with that? And then how did you fight and claw to kind of get your, get your name ready and get, get everything ready for uh, pro day at UGA? Yeah, it was, it was disheartening. I, I know coming off the high of the national championship, that was just a phenomenal season. You know, looking back, even, even while I was in it, uh, we didn't win, but you know, those are memories that I would never, ever take back. Uh, you know, best season, really the best season that Georgia has had since you know we've won the national championship so you know that was an excellent season and, and I loved every second every minute of that one but then you know I decided to go down to Bomberitos in Florida and train with uh, Pete Bomberitos and world-class facility world-class coaches and things there and he really prepared me um and just going through the process uh it was disappointing to to, to know that I was put on the pro football focus, like all SEC team, uh, which, you know, at the time, I guess NFL was definitely using them, but not as much market of them. But now it's like you watch NFL games and they have your pro football focus ranking at the bottom when they call out your name. And so um, I made all SEC for DB. I was one of the highest, I think I was like the second or third highest ranked person on our defense based off like, you know, our own internal uh, and how we we graded it, like behind like Roquan Smith. It's like, who's not going to be behind Roquan? You know, I started 48 games at UGA, which was a record for the most starts by a former walk-on and worked myself off to get in that position. And it's like, guys are starting to get uh, invites to combine. It's like, I'm not really getting one. So it's like, I'm talking to my agent. I'm asking like, you know, what's going on? What are you hearing? And then I just finally realized that, you know, I just wasn't going to get one. It was like, I didn't understand it. I don't know what's going on with that, but it's, you know, there's a lot of elements that go into that and I didn't get in. And I mean, same thing when I watched the draft this year for the fact that like, guy like JRE didn't get drafted guys like, you know, Tyler Clark, Tay Crowder, who, ended up getting drafted, didn't go get the, to the combine. It's like, these guys are, every year Georgia's in the top five for so many defensive statistics. And like, definitely we're, we're always like in the top five, top three for a uh, scoring average. But, you know, our players aren't getting the recognition on an NFL level like they should. Um, and so that kind of happened with me as well. But, you know, I took that, you know, opportunity to still stay the course and train as hard as I could. So that led me into my pro day. And I know after talking to some scouts and things like that after pro day, it was like, it was weird on that end because they were like, yeah, you know, we didn't know. We we thought you would run like a four, six or four. I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> I didn't understand that because like at Bomberitos, 
I went down there and he has the whole setup. And it's like, I ran a really good time down there and that's on a laser. And so I get to my pro day and I ran like a four, four on my pro day and performed well in all my other drills, all the, you know, the testing drills and all the DB drills as well. Um, and so, you know, there are quite a few articles that came up, came out about me and, you know, my performance, how they kind of thought that I kind of had the best pro day out of all the UGA players. Um, and so I was, you know, happy to see that, you know, I was in talks with a few different teams and someone saying that, you know, we might take you here, we might take you there. And I went on to, to like business and things like that. So those are great experiences as well. But uh, that just kind of led me into to the whole draft process. And uh, I'll never forget watching the draft. Uh, I mean, I watched it every year, but that year was obviously a special year. So, so happy, so excited for all my teammates just to see like, you know, Sony Michelle, Isaiah Wynn go in the first round. And you had Nick Chubb, which I thought he could have won the first round as well. And just seeing all the guys out there getting drafted, so super happy, super proud for them. And then, you know, day one went by. I knew I wasn't going to go day one. Day two, I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm probably not going to go day two. I, I may sneak in. But then I watched the whole, which day three is like the longest one. Day three is six or seven hours yeah. or something like it's that. Like tw- it's like 12 to seven or like, 12 to eight. I mean, it's a full day. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So I, I watched from 12 all the way to eight and didn't hear my name called. And I was like, Bummed out about that. Even with that being said, I still uh, had a number of teams, you know, reach out to me and, and things of that nature. So I was just, once again, kind of using that as fuel to say that, you know, once again, I'm being overlooked, uh, but I'm going to use that to propel me for my NFL career, which I fully thought that, you know, I was going to be the player to, you know, be under the radar and play in the NFL for, you know, 12 or 15 years and live out a luscious career. But you know, that's not how it ended up pinning out for me. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey? What, you know, you sign as an undrafted free agent with the Giants. And then can you just talk to us about the transition period between that and then your current career? Yeah. So like got signed to the Giants. They, I mean, they told me that they didn't have a pick, which they didn't have a pick in the sixth, seventh round. They said they didn't have one, but if they did have one, they would have drafted me. That would have been special to hear my name called, but didn't. But, you know, they were one of the first ones to keep in contact with me. So I think they ran out of picks like the fifth round. So I ended up signing with the Giants afterwards and got there, worked my tail off, got there for the rookie minicamp experience. And when I got there, it's, it's so weird because when I was in high school, so I missed two full years, well, two years minus one game in high school due to injuries. I get to college. I don't miss a single game due to injuries in college. But then when I get to the Giants, like out of nowhere, I had like hamstring pulls. Like I was pulling my left and my right. It was just very, very unfortunate. Um, and I ended up getting a, a, an injury waiver. And so, uh, I kind of took that time off. Got, they got me set up with some, with some rehab facilities. Coincidentally enough, the guy that got me set up with, he's a great guy, Brian Tobin. He's a great guy but he's a Georgia Tech guy. And so um, I was with him and it was so funny. I ended up going back, doing different workouts, uh, but I I was just so hungry to be in the NFL. This is the goal that I worked on my entire life for, that I was really my biggest enemy and I never really took the time to actually let myself heal. And so um, I was going out there going to workouts and I wasn't a hundred percent. And I think it kind of shows and uh eventually i was able to kind of muster and power through one of the workouts tampa bay decided to select me on uh, pick me up and sign me but like 
the first day was was okay, but the second day I was through. I mean, I couldn't do anything out there, and so I ended up getting let go from them as well. Um, and so from from that point on, I started going back rehabbing, and I decided that you know I'm gonna go without knowing love, and so I was driving from my hometown. Uh, all the way to UGA. So it was like an hour and a half drive. I would get up at five in the morning, drive there, do my rehab, come back an hour and a half there and back every day, just rehabbing just so I can get myself ready for whenever that next call was going to be. And then eventually I just got to a point where I realized that I didn't have the burning desire and the passion to play anymore. And so I just decided that I was going to move forward and, uh, you know, kind of use the, the degree I got from a wonderful university. Um, and that was, I started, you know, looking for a job, an actual job, um, uh, in, in the finance field. That's where I got my degree in. Uh, and then it was so crazy because it was like, as soon as I, cause I was teetering for so long, so long I was teetering, like, should I, should I not? And even when I had to call my agent and tell him that, you know, I didn't want to play anymore, which was, that was a tough call, but my agent, he's absolutely wonderful. Spencer Canal, he's, he's amazing. He's still a great contact for me. Um, but maybe like three or four months later, he called me. He was like, Hey, you know, you said you were done, but there's a team that still is inquiring about your services. What do you think about this? And so that was, I mean, that just kind of sent a shock through my body. I was like, oh, man. So I was still working out. I was working out, like, every single day still. I was still committed to, you know, being in good shape. Uh, obviously, I wasn't in football shape, but I was still in really great shape. So I was like, oh, man. And I ended up telling them no, which is crazy. It's like I walked away from the game on my own, you know, on my own merit. And that's what I ended up doing because I – I just didn't want to go into something that I wasn't fully, you know, devoted to. But that was a tough decision for me. I still love the game to this day. I, I watch, you know, NFL, college football. I think college football is the greatest sport to watch, even better than the NFL. But I absolutely love it. And But now I'm working as a research analyst for uh, CBRE, which is uh, they're actually the largest commercial real estate company in the world. But fantastic people there a lot of dogs in the office so i'm happy about that glad to have some karate in the office but that's where i stand now well aaron we appreciate you talking with us and kind of giving us an insight into things you know i I would just say based off what we know about you and what we learned about your brother today boy your mom and daddy ought to be real proud brother they they are they are they're everything for me well uh we're gonna close with you today we close all our guests with the smart 16s we're gonna ask you some questions and uh okay see what we do here so what's your middle name Tremaine. Who's your funniest teammate? Funniest teammate. Oh man. Mm, that's that's hard to choose, but I'm gonna say Devin Bowman. Devin Bowman, he was a DB at UGA. He was he was so he was hilarious. He was absolutely hilarious. Follow up question on that, because we've gotten a lot of answers on funniest teammate. And it's it either it either falls in the D B yeah. room or the wide receiver room. Which room is funnier? D B room or wide receiver room? Um it's gotta be a I think the wide receiver rooms are comical. They're comical because wide receivers, no matter how many times you stop them, catch an interception on them, bat the ball down, it doesn't matter. They still have the most confidence in the world. And it's just absolutely <laughs> funny to have those battles going back and forth. But I think the DBs are more funny. I think we know the answer to this because you alluded to it earlier, but what's your favorite game that you ever played in? Yeah, my first game. My first game is my favorite game for all the reasons that we talked about. Um, and then I got the Rose Bowl coming in the close second. 
What's your favorite rivalry? Which team do you hate the most? Mm, I think Auburn. I think it's Auburn. I think it's Auburn. Auburn has a little bit of arrogance to the, to themselves, and I kind of don't like how they how they think, um, especially with, with with the way that we were able to beat them during my time there. So I would say Auburn. What is your favorite away stadium in the Southeastern Conference? Probably, probably Tennessee. Tennessee, they have a they have a great stadium, and it was always fun, uh, especially uh, my senior year when. They all do all this. They go line up and have everybody in there like little checkers. So it's like this whole section is white. This whole section is orange. And then like, I mean, we demolished them my last year. We won like 48 nothing. So like before even halftime was over, we didn't see any orange and white. All we saw was red. So that, that made my day. Yeah. What is the loudest home game you ever played in? The first game, Clemson. That was that was the loudest game I ever uh, played in. I, I talked my old roommate Quincy, one of my my closest friends. Uh, he was safety and I was safety, and literally we were maybe four or five feet feet away, and I was screaming to the top of my lungs, and still couldn't he couldn't hear me. And whenever he said something, I couldn't hear him. So that was the loudest game I've ever been a part of. You get to choose the headlining act at the Georgia Theater. Who do you choose? Drake. Drake, that's my favorite artist of all time. So I'm 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 riding with Drake. You get to attend the largest outdoor co- cocktail party as a fan. What's the cocktail you're mixing? I have to say I don't drink, so I don't even know what cocktails there are out there to drink. So uh, I wouldn't even know when it comes to that. Well, we fix you up with something good. I'm a. I have four kids, so I'm a. I, I major in. I, I, I major in mocktails now, so <laughs> I, I'll fix you I, up. I All you right, then. you are back in Athens for one meal. Where Where do you go and eat? What's your favorite place to eat in Athens? Ooh, is it breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Uh, your Your choice. Oh man, Mama's boy. I'm a breakfast <laughs> guy. I love breakfast, so uh, Mama's boy is like my favorite restaurant to go to. That has been a popular choice. I'm telling you, are those biscuits, I don't know what they're putting in those, but I have to go back and next year. <laughs> <laughs> what were your game day superstitions? I never really had any superstitions. I wasn't I wasn't with that. I know like Zoe, he talks about how he always used to wear like the same socks. Or some people wear like the same sleeve or the same, listen to the same songs. I never really had any superstitions. So I guess I was probably one of the few that didn't. What is your favorite Sanford Stadium pregame tradition? I would probably say dog walk. Dog walk was like really special for me just to get to see a bunch of people. And then uh, so like because I was a walk on um, my first year, I stayed in like the regular freshman dorms. And so um, like I had a whole bunch of friends that, you know, weren't necessarily student athletes that I was around a whole bunch. And so it's like they used to come out to the dog walk. And it would be super cool to see them out there and yell and scream for me. So I would say probably the dog walk. Black jerseys, yes or no? Yes. Yes. What is the loss you're still not over? I mean, anybody could guess this one. The national championship. To be this close, to get that sack, and it's like second in like forever. And I thought the game was secure just to, and then the next play. So it's got to be the national championship. What's your order at the varsity? I'm basic, man. I just give me a nice little cheeseburger. Yeah, cheeseburger and fries. That's all I get when I go there. All right. There ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing noon kickoffs. Yes or no? 
No, 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 no. It always depends on who you play. So if we play a team that we're like expected to beat, give me that game at noon to noon because you know we're gonna play the game. The starters are probably gonna be out by like halftime or the third quarter or something like that, and you kind of get to relax, and then you you get to actually spend Saturday. Like a lot of the times, if the game is at like four or definitely at night, like the whole Saturday you spend is is, is with football. So. Uh, I like noon games when when it's a team that you know we're expected to to beat. All right, last question: College football playoff expand to eight teams or find how it is? They need to. They need to expand it. I think eight is a magical number because there is a lot of hate on our SEC on the SEC around the country. So I just think if they did something to where it's like you had the winner of the five power the power five conferences and then you had three at large bids. I think that would be the perfect thing because uh, in that case, you could kind of satisfy some of the other schools. Because, like, you could have, theoretically, you could have five conference champions and they all have the same record. And it's like, you know, who do you leave out? And so that's like a huge question. Uh, and there's always going to be a team who thinks they should have been they should have been in. So I, I would say eight is the magic number. Get rid of one of the regular season games and expand it to eight and you'll be cooking with grease then. All right, you've you've successfully finished the Smart 16. You're off the hot seat, Aaron. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, hey, man, we, we really appreciate you coming on and talking with thank us. Thank you. Like, like, like I said earlier, we, we love your story, and thank you for sharing mm-hmm. it with us. And, um, you know, we're just we're so proud to have had you as a part of the program and so proud that you're a dog. So, hey, man, we, we, we certainly enjoyed it. So thank you. You're welcome here anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That wraps up our interview with Aaron Davis. Boss, what were your thoughts? Man, he is impressive. Uh, I that's really the 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 word that pops in your head first off is just that he's he's so impressive. Everyone knows the story about him being a walk on, but I don't think everyone knows how much he had to overcome with the two ACL tears and then losing the offers and then having to just battle back and battle back and battle back. And then, you know, everyone knows about the the most starts and the walk ons and stuff and, and him being the walk on and the most starts. Everyone knows that story. But the the story about him having to battle back from everything to get to where to do that is just so impressive. So. We're glad that we were able to tell that story, but then he's just an amazing person. And the fact that he's so at peace with after battling back and doing everything that he did to, to, you know, to get to where he was and to have his shot in the NFL and then to have those injuries on top of that. And then to be at peace with that, it's just, he's just such an impressive, you know, person, but I mean, he's the first person we've had on that was the transition, you know, from really the transition from Rick to Kirby. And, you know, he told it, you know, like it was, you know, there was really no dip change in the defensive scheme for him, you know, because going from Pruitt to Kirby is really the same defense and really the change in the locker room. You know, he was very honest with it and we appreciated that. But like you said, in the podcast, uh, when we were doing the interview with him, his parents should be extremely proud just of the person that he is. Cause he's just a, he's not just a damn good dog. He's a damn good person. And I, I can't say enough good things about him. Like I, I really hope that, you know, my kids grow up to be like him because he's just, he's just a genuinely nice, kind, good person. I think the thing that stuck out to me most throughout the conversation is just how humble he is. He's just so, gracious about everything and he would have every right 
to be bitter about the injuries in high school, bitter about missing his time there, um, bitter about not getting a full shake in the NFL because of the hamstring and stuff. And he's not. I mean, just just so humble and you get so positive and you can tell why he was able to weather the different obstacles that he had to weather to get where he was. And then you can also understand why he became such a good player at UGA and was so valuable to that defense and to that defensive back room um, and to coach Tucker. I thought it was really interesting him recounting uh, coach Tucker talking to Kirk Herbstreet and saying that if if he was picking a, MVP of that defense in 17, it would be Aaron. And um, man, that was awesome to hear him tell that. I just thought that was a a really cool story and see how much he appreciated that. And again, um, just like our our interview with Michael Bennett, uh, if you're building teams, right, boy, man, if you you had 22 Aaron Davises, you wouldn't lose, brother. I mean, you just wouldn't. Um, guys that are going to do what they have to do for the team, guys that are going to sacrifice for the name on the front of the jersey and just makes you proud to have these kids in the program. And, you know, you and I have talked about this and, and I feel this. One of the greatest things about doing the podcast and getting to talk to different folks is, you know, you're a fan of Georgia and you love Georgia and you, you root for the team and, and all those things. And this has just heightened all of that for me because you get to see the quality of the people that make up the program, whether that be um, the guys on the football team or um, the men and women that come out of the different programs at UGA. It's just so many high quality people and so many people to be proud of. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just been awesome. And, and Aaron certainly embodies all of that i mean um yeah to your point i mean I, how funny was it or how cool was it when he was talking about you know people talk about people being a rocket scientist like my brother is a rocket scientist <laughs> yeah that was awesome yeah i thought that was cool too like didn't you just think you could just kind of tell he he reveres his brother like his brother yeah. is his guy and i thought yeah i thought that was really that's cool. an awesome relationship yeah uh, i just thought that was really cool so yeah man a davis family is some kind of impressive so uh we loved getting to talk to Aaron um, and and certainly wish him the best. And like you said, damn good dog and also a damn good person. So yeah, y'all support Aaron any way you can. And, and yeah, we're just happy to see guys like this and, and tell, get them to tell their stories so that everybody can see the quality of person that that's rolling through Athens. So go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.